Welcome to the Data Coffee Break Podcast. I'm Mark. And I'm Christian. If you are passionate about data like us, take a seat, relax, and join us to our coffee break where we discuss all things data. And remember, there are no filters, no PR. It's just a real life experience. So let's begin. You know, for this episode, I was thinking about this overly used meme by Dan Ariely, which says big data is like teenage sex. Everyone talks about it. Nobody really knows how to do it. Everyone thinks everyone else is doing it. So everyone claims they are doing it. So I think <laughs> for data contracts or any other trend or buzzwords, this is really quite relevant. Uh, uh, just before, like... <laughs> When you say, oh, like uh, this image and feel like that, I was like, oh, I'm going to like take a note of it so we can include it in the, <laughs> in the description. You say teenage sex and feel like that. I was like, I don't know if we include that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry. This is the first thing that came to mind about data contracts because oh, we have never implemented it. This is us discovering actually this, um, this topic. Uh, we never have had, we never had a, hands-on experience when it comes to data contracts. Um, we're really curious because we're exactly. hearing about this topic uh, on LinkedIn, on some other podcasts, but uh, this is a premature a greenfield on our side. So we might say things were totally wrong, uh, and I'm pretty sure it's evolving very ra rapidly as well. We we might learn learn from like the the community, from, from anyone listening. Uh, you can basically comment or send us a message on LinkedIn or Twitter uh, if you don't agree or yes. if you agree with some some of what we said. And one of the reasons of doing these episodes is also to bring awareness to the community. This happened with the data observability one a couple of weeks ago. I got contacted by so many people about, I didn't know that this was so important. Mm -hmm. So definitely this is something that, as you mentioned, is a trend. And that is really worth exploring. Definitely. So should we def define what is data contracts? Yes, let's get started. So let's take a step back because I think most of us have been in the situation where you come to work just to realize that your data pipelines fail. And after doing a bit of logging and exploration, you realize that the entire data pipeline failed because in the source system, someone added a new column someone changed the data type of a column, or even worse, someone just dropped the column completely. Now, this actually happens because those systems are what is called tightly coupled. So you have a source and a destinations that they are expecting the data in a specific way. And if it's not the case, then everything just breaks. And this is the premise of data contracts, yeah. basically. So simply put, data contracts are API-like agreements between software engineers, who own the services and data consumers that understands how the business works, which in my opinion are the data engineers, the data analysts, creating model data, creating dashboards, reporting, ML. Mm -hmm. And this interface in the middle, that API, which is the contract, is the one that is meant to enforce that all this agreement or how I expect in the data is actually uh, fulfilled. Now, what actually this creates is that allow, this allows the software engineer to decouple their databases and services from those analytical and ML requirements, Yeah, right? 
And what this brings is actually avoiding things to break when things change. Now, this is the most simplistic way of seeing this. We are going to deep dive later on this episode. But I don't know, I, what do you think? In your opinion, do you think this is for every single pipeline? I guess it has to be like, at least for organization who want to implement, it's going to be very focused, laser focused on high value data pipeline. Like Agreed. the one where like the most critical, the one when, as we were speaking last week with Alex Eskinazi, the one who are actually tied to customers paying for, for the data to some aspect. Because the, a contract that defines like a set of rules an agreement between the data producers and data consumers. So that's why, like, in my point of view, mm -hmm. this will really address those very narrow use cases to start. This is a really good point that you raised there because one important thing to mention here from the technology implementation perspective is the fact that this exist in some ways already with uh, software vendors. For example, um, Salesforce, right? If Salesforce um, is going to introduce changes into their API, they'll tell you that, oh, there is going to be a version 2, version 2.5, version 3 of this API to avoid making um, breaking changes in production, right? But with the organization, this is not something that happens very often. And what it actually brings is that this becomes not only um, technology change, but also an organizational, organizational change because there are now points of contact for every source system because an agreement exists. And also you get a bit uh, better ways to monitor all of your pipelines in one single place. Exactly, yeah. Because here we're really speaking of the fact that data teams are now becoming more organized, obviously, across organization. They're becoming bigger. And there is a reckoning that uh, with a multiplicity of, of tools being used in an organization, with a multiplicity of uh, skill sets that uh, people are developing, and the increasing use, obviously, of data across internal parts of the organization, um, being consumed by much more people, we're seeing those data issues we think those we seeing those needs to formalize more what uh data should look like for xyz use case and that's where the emergence of data contract is relevant yep and it's important important as you've been saying christian you might have external service providers so third party data in this case uh you have sla you have a contract because you're buying a service you're buying uh yeah some level of service from this company but internally yeah what is the um actual sla what is uh actual actually the what you can expect from the different exactly. systems that are producing the data transforming the data etc so that will be what we can call actually first party data and that the idea of data contract is actually to cover those kind of first party data use cases here. A hundred percent. And I think now we can start talking about the different types of data contracts True. that exist. Yeah. We discovered that in some aspects here. <laughs> when I read, um, I saw like two major types. Maybe you, you might have another one. I don't know, but there is data contracts that focusing on the schema. So schema contracts, basically. And it's basically saying, 
what is the structure of the data that should be exchanged uh, in this case. And the second one yep. is a service contract. And this is the one we are most used to in, in some aspect. And that really defines the rules, um, the business logic potentially, uh, the business expectation potentially inside, uh, some uh, expectation on SLA, some expectation on um, definition of metrics maybe, um, and also as part of a contract who is accountable in those aspects, who sh- should maintain, uh, who should be contacted, etc. I don't know if you have any any other type of contract you will see. I don't know actually if we can and we should define and split those contracts like that. Actually, yeah, I mean, that's a good one. I don't really have one. As you mentioned at the beginning of the episode, this is quite new. Yeah. But I would say that the schema ones are the ones that are there for disruption in the industry, in my opinion. As you as you pointed out, mm-hmm. the the ones that we are quite used to it are the ones that are related to SLAs, to... They're um, focusing only on that. Exactly. Yeah. So I think I think that we don't need to lose track that data contracts that we're talking about today are a technology implementation, right? So they there is no product as such mm-hmm. as, you know, I installed something that will create me a data contract, but there is a technology that needs to be put in place in order to create these data contracts, which I think are the ones that we should drill down into and pay close attention to it. Absolutely, yeah. It's interesting to see all different data tools, business tools, are implementing some parts of those expectations. Um, we were aware of data catalogs that are fully like considers this kind of aspect where you have a full taxonomy of the data, um, some expectation where we write about uh, to the user, like what is the expected freshness of the data, etc. who is responsible for the data set, etc. Likewise, this kind of information can be passed automatically through APIs to business intelligence tool, for example. So there is some, yeah, yeah, yeah. already some, a certain level of integration, but it's not, it's quite loosely integrated here. It hasn't been well-defined, basically. It's a yep. different tools who thought like, oh, that's actually relevant to add this kind of uh, information. I agree. And you can see how this lack of definition really has created this niche. Even if you remember our episode with Dennis, the first thing that he mentioned as the biggest pain point was data quality. Right, that he spent so much time looking at cleaning the data, making sure that the data is fresh, making sure that the data is fit for analysis, and how much time consuming these data quality tasks were actually. But on this point, like you, you highlighting some of the reasons why data contracts are important, like for things not breaking, uh, touching on data quality and things like that. That really helps to, in my point of view, in an in an organization who is growing in terms of data usage, data teams, it really helps to standardize many processes across the organization on that. We can think as well in this case, that means it's going to reduce, help to reduce the cost and complexity for these data integration projects overall. It's going to help like create efficiency, going to create like frameworks in terms of data interoperability. Yep. Hopefully I pronounced correctly this word. So this is providing a great framework for all organizations to that extent. 
quick one. If you are enjoying this episode and our show, please make sure you follow us on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. Links are in the description as per usual. Also, if you'd like to grow this community with us, think about sharing this episode with a friend or a colleague interested about all things data. Now, back to the episode. So from your perspective, from your reading and discussion, what, what do you think is the best way to implement data contracts? So disclaimer, the best way that I have seen this implemented is based on an article by Chad Sanderson and Adrian Krusiger. I hope I pronounced uh, his last name correctly. And this is for a CDC-based implementation of data contracts. CDC meaning change data capture, integration between systems. And disclaimer number two, this is actually a quite a technical topic and heavy. So sorry if you're not able to follow everything in this episode compared to what we usually discuss in previous, uh, previous episodes of this podcast. Yes, we will do our best on this one. And just to have everyone on the same page, CTCs are uh, replications for every single create, update, delete operation from one system to the next one. Mm -hmm. Right, So this is meant to be a near real-time type of integration. So in terms of how the data contract was implemented, it was done by four key steps. First, you define the data contract, which is the place where you define yeah. your schema. Second, you create a data contract enforcement, which this is basically applying integration tests and data quality. Step number three, you create a data contract fulfillment which is a part where you process those CDC events to make yeah. sure that the schema matches the previously defined data contract. And finally, number four is the data contract monitoring. Now, why this data contract is interesting is because a CDC type of replication is what we were discussing as tightly coupled, right? So you have the source database system and the target database system actually not catering for changes into the schema. So this is a quite a popular type of replication, but at the same time, quite prone to error when it comes to this um, yeah. schema evolution or schema handling of changes. You explain defining the data contract where is pretty much what is a schema expected, but within this contract, adding like some data quality expectation that in that means down the line in the enforcement phase is pretty much like doing those kind of quality check which can be done at different levels in a data pipeline here i mean pretty much it should be rather later stage before like being uh, available to data consumers but this could be done at different levels that is correct so if we drill down into these four key steps, as you mentioned, steps number one and two are all about defining the schema. And the definition goes in both ways. You can think about it in documentation, but also in a, an Avro file format. And the reason for that is because the Avro file format actually gives you the schema separate from in, in, that, binary, in that binary file, right? So that's step one. Actually, that's Mm -hmm. just jumped on, right? Now, number two, as you mentioned, is that data quality piece, right? Is where you create those unit tests that make sure that the contract rules, all the expectations yeah. are actually done. And that, as you mentioned, can be done in, in different steps within the pipeline. Now, step number three, the fulfillment 
that is actually quite interesting. So this is the place where you create that implementation that will handle version one, version two, version three of your API. And the way that the that this architecture that uh-huh. Chad Sanderson proposed was by using two different Kafka topics. So one is receiving the events and the second one is processing those changes and making sure that that schema evolution changes matches what the initial contract was created. Again, um, this is something that needs to be seen a bit more in detail. There is uh, a GitHub repository. This has been all developed using open source tooling. But this, the, fu- the fulfillment to me is is the key here, is the actual way of creating that API that consumers will subscribe to. So you're pretty much saying that there is a side data quality check being done at a specific level to basically check if against the contract is being correct or not. And it's on the side of the data pipeline. You can put it that way, yes. And we will put also the link in the description for everyone to see this implementation, this architecture. But one important thing about data contracts is that they're public. So they are not, for example, meant to be one-to-one integrations, but rather something that everyone can subscribe to. And I think that's really cool. And and, uh, that's how you really decouple your database and... Advantage? Yes, you take advantage from this implementation. I think that that's really unique, though. Mm. Now, finally, number four, monitoring. I think that's very self-explanatory, but this is the place where you bring that extra layer of understanding about how your pipelines are performing, but also you bring that extra observability into your pipelines to get a full understanding of all of those events and how they behave. Is basically recorded and can be, um, in terms of audits, providing like a, a way to to track that. Correct. Uh, back backdated. No, no, backdated is not the right way to say it. But go back in time and being able to like figure out what happened at different points in time. Yeah. Yes, and just to summarize, to implement this data contract, you go by first defining the schema. Second, you specify how you're going to enforce the data contract using unit tests and data quality checks. Number three, you implement a process that makes sure that the contract will be fulfilled and that there is not going to be any breaking changes. And finally, you define your monitoring of your contract to have greater observability. So in terms of use cases now, one example that... um, can come to my mind. Actually, I don't know how much is implemented, but when we think about between different countries, different governments, all those different uh, agreements they put in place to share information about um, uh, tax of citizens between different countries or between like uh, speed tickets we might get between different countries. This is, in my point of view, a great analogy to those kind of data contracts because in those type of agreements, governments might not have the same tools to track this information, to uh, process this information, but they agree on the specific um, exchange mechanism and on specific responsibilities uh, between them. And that's, in my point of view, a fantastic analogy when when we think about data contracts and 
here in the space more of government, <laughs> let's say. I think you just did an amazing analogy, as you mentioned. I think you touch on the reasons why you would use a data contract, which is you want to assess how data behaves on the fly, on real time. As you're collecting data, you want to know, for example, those speed tickets are conforming with a certain uh, set of rules. And also you avoid breaking changes by introducing the contract, meaning that if one specific country changes the schema, it doesn't break it for the other countries that are expected the data in a certain shape or form. And you're also applying this to improve discoverability, right? I mean, you, you're looking at your speed tickets from your country and perhaps other countries will have that ability to take a look at what happened on, on that API. So yeah, I, I wouldn't bring any other use case. I think you nailed that one. But one of the things that comes to mind when we talk about data contracts or this trend is that you want to introduce this, yes, to avoid data quality, spending a lot of time doing data quality checks, but at the same time, you don't want to slow down your development, right? Because I think that's one of the caveats that I see, meaning that putting all of these systems in place before starting actually developing something new, I don't know, I I, I feel like... Oh my God, it's, it's not that easy. I mean, this is such a... I realize more and more this is such a novel topic. Yeah. We touch very on something like <laughs> I think I think we're really into the data space, <laughs> you <laughs> and me. When we come to this level of discussing new trend where there is no yet like extremely well structured it's like only being created at the moment, I, yeah. I feel. So it, it's a bit difficult to discuss about it. Yeah. We need a takeaway though. Yeah. So for everyone listening. Christian and I, we let's be honest, we've been a bit um, struggling to grasp first the importance of data contract, but all to define it, all to explain it as 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 simple as we can. Uh, but we realize how important data contract could be and will be in the future in one form or another. This is basically the concept, the idea of data contracts. Um, yeah, not as a direct piece of technology per se um, from our reading there is no clear yet defined technology on data contracts so I agree and this is an evolving space so I really see that anyone that will actually would like to start trying this will benefit from it right that I think it's mm. it, it's just a fact and as you just mentioned data contracts will be even more important because this space just keeps growing and growing. I feel both of us will monitor that quite closely, I'm pretty sure. And we will have another episode like on the topic, um, maybe having a guest in, oh, yeah. in a few months discussing that specifically. I couldn't agree more. And with that, well, that was a fantastic episode, Christian. I agree, Mark. Can't wait for the next one. Thanks for listening to this episode. This podcast represents our views and not the ones of our employers. Our mission at the Data Coffee Break podcast is to inform you and help you grow in this always changing data field. Follow us and get into the conversation with the community on our LinkedIn page and Instagram. See you next Tuesday. And until then, keep your data caffeinated.